0: Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast again today. Ted Shuttlesworth back with you, and I'm glad to be here specifically because it's my show, and it would be weird if the show was here and I was not here. But I'm glad to be back with you today on the podcast. I've got a great, great one for you today. As you saw in the title, we're going to ask the question when will the rapture happen? And I want to give you five clues from the Bible that will show you, I believe, clearly when the rapture will take place. And we're going to get into that in a minute. I want to first welcome everybody. Good to have you back again another week. Take a minute if you would share this and, um, I know this is a question that a lot of people have, you know, end times Bible prophecy is one of the most intriguing and interesting subjects that we have in Christianity. There's a lot of TV programs that are dedicated to it. There are specials on different networks, you know, like the history channel, you know, even secular networks like that, that are dedicated to Bible prophecy, um, You know, a lot of people preaching solely on that. There's ministries, entire ministries that are based just around this subject because God has put a desire on the inside of every person to want to know the future you know, that's why even Hollywood puts movies out um, about the apocalypse and, you know, Armageddon and all, I mean, all these different things is because people have a desire to know the future and only God can give us the future and knowledge about the future. And that's why his word is is so vital to go to. Did you know that when the Bible was written, that it was over 33% prophecy at the time it was written? So for all these people that say, well, you know, it's so hard to understand Bible prophecy. I mean, I could never get it. You know, I don't understand it. And the book of Revelations, you know, it's just so deep and Daniel. And I just don't know that I could, I just leave it to the experts and I just focus on the basic stuff. When people say I focus on the basic stuff, that's that's something that gets me because, you know, when God gave us his holy written word and he gave it to us to help us, by the way, do you, don't you think that it was one of the main things that God wanted us to be involved in when one third of the Bible was prophecy? I think it's something that's a clue to us that that's something God wanted us to know about and not be ignorant of and understand clearly And that's why he gave us one third of his word as prophecy at the time it was written. So these things are not unknowable. Doesn't matter where you're at in your Christianity. I'm going to help you today and I'm going to discuss uh, these five clues that I believe can tell us when the rapture. Um, will take place it's timing the timing of the rapture and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute but take a minute share it on your stories uh, post it for others to see and invite them to get in on this information. why because time is short time is literally running out and we need to know where we're living you know what what time we're living in. It's definitely not a time to play games definitely not a time to gamble with your future. Uh, And with your destiny and with your eternity, um, it's time to get serious about serving God and working for God. And that's why I want to draw your attention to this subject this week about how close we are to the coming of Jesus Christ. So um, let's get into this today. I'm I'm dealing with, once again, when will the rapture happen? And I'm going to give you five clues from the word of God that are going to really help you. And maybe at the end, I'll also suggest a couple of books, you know, because people are always asking like, what should I read when it comes down to like Bible prophecy? And it's hard, you know, if you didn't go to Bible school, you know, or whatever, you may not know who to trust or who to read or who to listen to when it comes to this subject. But uh, I'm going to give you a few suggestions too, at the end of the broadcast that I think will really help you. Um, If you want to do further study on Bible prophecy. So let's jump into this today. Our future is definitely divinely protected by God. If you've listened to my podcast for any period of time, you'll know that I believe that God, the redemption that Jesus Christ gave us through his death, burial and resurrection it provides divine protection for every area of our life. You've heard me say things many times like, that will not be my story in Jesus' name, or it will not be your story, or our story will be different than somebody else's, that my life shouldn't look the same as somebody who doesn't have a redeemer. Those those types of phrases that I say often are based on this thought process that our redemption makes us different. That we shouldn't look like the world we shouldn't sound like the world we shouldn't live like the world our lives has have become very different because of our redemption through Jesus Christ but one thing that's become readily evident to me in the past few years is that you know Christians and non-Christians alike are very concerned about the future i mean without question specifically their future and you know many americans this blows my mind. There's a lot of Americans that spend up to $10 a minute to speak to psychics on the phone, you know, hoping like that, that they'll hear something, you know, that'll help them. You know, they want to get advice that'll help them about the future. And, you know, that can cost anywhere. Look at the statistics for yourself. I mean, that can cost anywhere between $200 and $500 an hour to speak to a psychic, you know, to get info about the future, you think, is, is what's going to happen. But, you know... It always makes me wonder why, like, <laughs> you know, if they if if psychics are so um, good at this, if they really have this gift, how if they can help other people become successful, why are so many of them not successful? Like, why is every psychic place you see in like some gas station, uh, you know, it's like in one of those um, what do they call them, like office park style places in some tiny little hovel in the ghetto? Why why does not why is nobody in like a high rise in New York City? If they're a psychic, anyway, it's just a thought, but, um, they even did research on this, you know, in, in, um, in New Zealand, there was a lady who was a professor at a a university, Auckland university, actually. Um, she actually found out that people, uh, that are addicted to talking to psychics are averaging like $27,000 a year. That's how much they're spending to seek guidance for finances, love lives and stuff like that. I mean, it's crazy. And as I said, you've got movies coming out from Hollywood like Armageddon and you know, all these different movies about the end of time. There was actually a movie called 2012 that was supposed to be, you know, the end of the Mayan calendar, the world was coming to an end. So, you know, it's clear that Americans, not just Americans, but people all around the world want to know about the end of time. And it was God who created us and knows our innermost desires, and he said that he'd reveal secrets about the future to us. If we would ask him in prayer, that's found in Jeremiah 33 and verse three. And, you know, he gave us that promise knowing that the human spirit is created with an inherent desire to have a knowledge about uh, future events. But here's the bottom line is that judgment is coming. Judgment will eventually come to the earth. And the Bible refers to that period of time as the tribulation. And it's a seven year period where terrible punishments, you know, will be released through the whole earth as a result of you know the people who rejected Christ as their savior and as the antichrist takes power you know and establishes his de- demonic rule on the earth Jesus will begin to release the judgments from heaven you know that's found in the book of revelation but i think the good news is this that the bible teaches that Jesus is coming back to remove us his children his people from the earth and take us to heaven that's what we call the rapture of the church if you've not heard that term the rapture of the church Um, is when we are caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Um, The sad part is this, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. Many Christians cannot agree as to when the rapture will take place in the end end times timeline, if I can say it like that, the end times timeline. So many people can't agree as to when the rapture will happen. Um, You know, you got three of the main belief systems when it comes to the rapture and they're they're labeled this way. You've got people that are pre-tribulation rapture, that's what they believe. In a pre-tribulation rapture, then you've got other people that believe in a mid-tribulation rapture that at halfway point through the tribulation, God's people will be taken into heaven. And then you've got the what we call the post-tribulation rapture people. They believe that we're not actually raptured until after those 7 years are over. And those aren't the only three belief systems, by the way, there's others, but those are the three main, um, positions that people take on the rapture. And, um, it's really sad. I mean, there's, there's a lot of division over this subject. Um, I like Dr. Mark Hitchcock, you know, he has a book that's, um, he actually did a message one time and I think he made it into a book. It's called when will the believing be leaving? And he, he dealt with the rapture, but Although there are, uh, you know, three main views as to when Christians will be raptured and taken to heaven, um, I believe that only one of these positions makes sense based on Scripture. And, you know, some people believe that you'll go through all or half of the tribulation, but I'm going to show you um, what I, as I said, five reasons from the Scripture that create a strong argument that we will be removed from the earth before even one of God's judgments. Is released, and so, you know, obviously, this is a much larger topic than, than we can discuss in one podcast episode. But, um, like I said, if I'm going to give you some books at the end of this episode, that if you want to do deeper study yourself, you can definitely get into that and and do a deep study on end times. And I encourage you to do that because it's something God wanted us to know, and that's why He filled so much of the Bible with prophecy. But I want to give you these five things, and that's what the basis of this podcast episode is today. Five clues from the scripture that let us know we're getting out of here before one drop of judgment hits this earth. Because here's why we're not designed for judgment. You know, God's children are not designed for judgment. That's not why we got saved and redeemed, so we could be judged for things other people did. We will not be judged for our sins. Uh, in case you don't know this, and it's not the topic of this podcast episode, but there are two different judgments that will take place. There is the uh, the Great White Throne judgment and the Bema Judgment. You have these these uh, two judgments for two different kinds of people. You know, sinners, those who have rejected Jesus, will be judged separately. And then Christians or believers will be judged separately. Sinners will be judged based on the fact that they rejected Christ and lived a life of sin and they are not redeemed. But Christians will be judged based upon their actions that they took in dedication to the kingdom or in obedience to God's word. They will be judged based on the fruit that they produced for the kingdom of God. And the Bible says all of our works will pass through the fire, what we've done on the earth. And some of it will just burn up like rubble. Others will come through purified like gold, the things we did for God. So we're not judged like everybody else. We're not judged like sinners are judged. No, we have Christ. We have a redeemer. And so we're not judged for rejecting Jesus. Our work is judged. So here... When I say that I don't believe that the tribulation is for us, it's because that the tribulation itself is judgment. It's a form of judgment before the eternal judgment of hell or the lake of fire takes place. So I don't believe that it was designed for God's children or his people. And so here are the five reasons. Number one, if you're taking notes, the first reason I don't believe that we will be here for any of the tribulation So if you haven't guessed already, I hold a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. I believe that we will be raptured before any of the seven years of tribulation begin on the earth. And here's the five reasons from scripture why I believe that. First is the fact that the church is absent in the book of Revelation during the time that the tribulation is being described. The Bible's a divine guidebook, okay? You need to understand that. He loves his children more than we could imagine. So scripture gives us, you know, all kinds of instructions to keep us from eternal damnation. You read through the New Testament, you know, it's Paul warning, warning, warning. Don't do this, don't do that, don't live like this, don't live like that. It's more and more uh, Peter, it's it's other apostles giving us warnings about how to live so that the blessings of God can take place in our lives. So you understand that the church is God's prized possession. You know, we're the apple of his eye. So you'd think that if we were going to be, you know, having to endure the the tribulation for 7 years, that God would have given us some kind of instruction in his word to guide us safely through that horrible. I mean, it's going to be horrible. You know, I'm not going to outline what what happens in the tribulation, but I mean it's it's horrible. And you'd think if God loved his children so much and we were going to have to go through it, he'd give us something in the word to guide us safely through. You know, I know I I know, I would if it was my children and they're, I'm not a perfect father like God. And they're, you know, so if I knew they were gonna have to go through something, I would do everything I could to get letters to them, write them emails, text messages, whatever I could do to give them instructions how they could safely get through those issues. But there's nothing from, from God in the, and here's why. Now listen to this. Very interesting point here. This is number one. We're absent during the time of tribulation in the book of Revelation. The church is not mentioned. So the most detailed description of the tribulation is found in Revelation chapters 4 through 18. And so within those chapters, John writes a very vibrant description of the events that will take place on the earth. Now, it's important for you to know that the Greek word for, the, for church, for the word church, is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia, and it means the called out ones or the called out assembly. And this word occurs 20 times in the book of Revelation. It's written 19 times from chapters 1 through 3, and then it doesn't appear again until Revelation 19, where the church is pictured as a bride returning to the earth with her bridegroom. As God is raining down judgments upon the earth, why? This is the question I'm going to ask. Why is his prized possession, the church, that he loves so much, never mentioned one time? It's very interesting. The sudden disappearance of the church in the book of Revelation is very suspicious. The fact that we don't see the church mentioned again until Christ returns at his second coming should be a clue to us that the church is absent during the time of judgment, so you got the church mentioned 19 times in Revelation chapters one through three, and then boom, the, the, the tribulation starts in chapter four and they're not mentioned again until the end when Christ is coming back. You know why? Because we're in heaven with Christ waiting for this tribulation to be over and then we come back for the final battle. And when we come back, we'll rule and reign with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. It's called the millennium. So that's the first clue is that we're not mentioned anywhere in the book of Revelation during the tribulation. Never says what happens dur- to the ecclesia during the tribulation. Doesn't even mention us. It's because we're not here. It's my, my personal belief we're not here. Number two, the second clue as to the timing of the rapture and why I believe there's a pre-tribulation rapture. Now this one's a little bit deeper, but I want you to stick with me because it's very powerful if you catch it. The second clue to us is is what is said in the book of Revelation about the 24 elders, the 24 elders. So the question is, where is the church uh, during the judgment? I believe that the 24 elders that are spoken of throughout the book of Revelation are a representation of the church already in heaven during the tribulation. Now, there are three main reasons to support that claim that the elders represent the raptured church. First, the Bible says in Revelation 3.21 that the 24 elders are seated on thrones. That's huge, you gotta get that. So no other beings in the entire Bible besides God, Christ, and the church age believers, that's us, are promised thrones anywhere in scripture. Angels don't get thrones, nobody else gets thrones, nobody else is promised thrones except God, Christ, and the church age believers—that's us. So the Bible shows these twenty-four elders seated on thrones in Revelation three twenty-one. The second clue that they're the church is that they're wearing crowns with church age believe, which church age believers will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. So angels are never pictured wearing crowns, and Old Testament saints won't be resurrected and given their reward until the end of the tribulation. That's found in Daniel chapter 12. So Old Testament saints aren't in heaven yet. So that leaves the raptured believers as the only ones who could be wearing crowns and standing in the presence of God. So you see that number one, they're seated on thrones. Number two, they're wearing crowns. And number three, church age believers are the only individuals who are able to sing the song of redemption that the 24 elders are pictured singing in Revelation chapter five. So you can't sing about redemption unless you're qualified to sing about it. Angels, neither angels or Old Testament saints can sing this song because they've never been redeemed. So it stands to reason that the church is not mentioned on the earth during the tribulation because we'll already be raptured and in the presence of God and in Revelation pictured as the 24 elders seated on thrones, wearing crowns, singing the song of redemption. So that's number two. Number three, I call this one the devil's leash. (laughs) I like this because, so look, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul the Apostle uh, he gives some insight about how end time events will happen. And, you know, God has a timeline for his prophetic agenda. So look at what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. I'm going to read it to you from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 7. It says this For that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist, is revealed. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret. Here's the key. Catch this right here. Until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. So you see this? The man of lawlessness, the antichrist, he can't even be revealed. He'll be kept secret until the one who is holding back this lawlessness steps out of the way. So, Many scholars, including J. Dwight Pentecost, who was a a serious professor of Bible exposition uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, they agree that the man of lawlessness Paul's speaking of is the Antichrist, as I just said. And so Paul basically tells the church that the identity of this man uh, cannot be revealed until the one who's holding him back is moved out of the way. Now, the weak the Greek word, and I'm probably gonna screw up this this uh pronunciation, uh, but katako, uh which which here means to hold back or restrain, um, the one who is holding the Antichrist back is the restrainer. So there's a lot of, there's been a lot of ideas, you know, proposed through the ages as to who the restrainer is. You know, there's, you know, people, I can't even tell you there's like crazy ones, but I mean, there's all kinds of different ones. You know, some people believe it's God himself. Some people believe it's the Holy Spirit. Um, And and while there's many, many ideas as to who the restrainer is, that's holding back the antichrist, I'm going to give you uh, two ideas that will help us for the purpose of this podcast episode, identify who is that restrainer that's holding back the antichrist first the restrainer must be uh removable okay think about that whoever's holding back the antichrist has to be a removable individual so that the antichrist can then be revealed um second the restrainer must be powerful enough to actually hold back the antichrist and the outbreak of evil under the antichrist so To me, obviously, the only power, only the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient to hold back the power of the Antichrist. But see, here's the problem though. The Holy Spirit's omnipresent. So you can't actually remove the Holy Spirit from anywhere. He's everywhere at all times. He's everywhere. You can't remove God from anywhere. He's omnipresent. But here's the thought. Even during the tribulation, people will be saved. You can check that out in Revelation 7, 9 through 14. So that means the Holy Spirit's uh, still here convicting, drawing, and regenerating uh, people, which is necessary for anybody to be saved. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit drawing you, the Bible says. So that means even during the tribulation, the Holy Spirit will still be here on the earth. So that's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit can't be the restrainer. And it's for those two reasons I believe the Bible is not just speaking of the Holy Spirit's power, but it's the Holy Spirit's power inside the believer that is the restrainer, the believers that make up the church. You know, the church, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the restrainer. So believers whose job it is to restrain evil as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, they've got to be removed for the Antichrist to be revealed and then take power and begin his reign of terror. So according to Christ, all power has been given unto the believer, including the power to cast out evil spirits. Think about that, Luke 10, 19. So my father, who has been preaching for years, always asked this question, you know, in dealing with antichrist teaching and like, you know, the end times teaching. He always said, if I really was here during the uh, tribulation when the antichrist took power, what would stop me from flying wherever he was and casting the devil out of him? See, so... There's never going to be a time where uh, the devil can dominate the church. The devil's not allowed to dominate the church. You know, he's not his spirit. That's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world, talking about the spirits of antichrist. <laughs> you can't have dominion over somebody who's greater than you. It doesn't work. The devil doesn't have the power. The Antichrist doesn't have the power to take dominion over the body of Christ. It would not work. That's why he hasn't been manifested yet. It's because we're still here. And the event that marks the beginning of the tribulation period is the signing of a peace treaty that the Antichrist makes with the nation of Israel. That's Daniel nine twenty seven. So he has to be, you know, the Antichrist has to come out of hiding and be, um, established so that the tribulation can take place, but he can't come out of hiding until the restrainer is removed, which means the very first thing that's, you know, the, the thing that marks the beginning of the tribulation, it takes the antichrist for that thing to happen, which shows you that the, even the beginning of the tribulation cannot happen until the restrainer, which is us is removed and the Antichrist revealed, that's number three. Number four, the fourth sign that we will not be here for any part of the the tribulation is this question, I'll ask it to you, or I'll just say it in the form of a phrase, judgment is not for us. Judgment is not for us. Now this one will stir your spirit up and get you excited. Number four, so without question, right, the entire tribulation period, is a terrible judgment against a rebellious world that rejected the Son of God, okay? So it's not just the last three and a half years that's judgment, the whole tribulation is a judgment period. So it, like in its entirety, it represents the ultimate wrath of God, which is why believers are exempt according to Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And it should be noted that in every type and shadow throughout the Bible, literally, those who were righteous were spared from judgment. So Noah and his family were the only righteous people left on the earth in their generation. And not only were they all spared from the effects of the flood, think about this, every one of them was safely on the ark before the first drop of rain fell from the sky, right? It's not like they were running towards the ark and the downpour had already started and they were feeling the effects of God's wrath. No, they were safely on the ark And then God shut the door and then the rains began. Another example would be Lot and his family. This is a great one because this is like a true picture of the rapture in the Old Testament. Lot and his family that were living in the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they escaped the town completely before any fire rained down from heaven. So in Christ's parable about the wheat and the weeds, that's another example, he shows a clear picture let me go back for a second because Lot Lot and his wife is perfect. That No one believed that God was going to destroy the city. So you know what the Bible says? God sent angels into the city to actually rush Lot and his family out. In fact, the Bible records that they actually swept them out of the city or grabbed them and led them out like a rapture, pulled them out of the city. That's a picture of the rapture in the Old Testament. Um, Christ's parable, by the way, as I just mentioned, about the weed and the weeds, that shows a clear picture of separation before judgment. So, in the field, which represents the earth, wheat, which is God's people, and weeds, those who reject God, they grow together until when? The time of the harvest. And when the harvest takes place, which is the rapture, the wheat is placed in the barn, which is heaven, and the weeds are bound in bundles to be burned the tribulation and ultimately hell, you know, the tribulation, which is on the earth, and then ultimately thrown into hell. Notice, literally, no judgment was dealt out to anyone until after the harvest and the separation took place. That's all found in Matthew 13. If you want to check it out yourself, go to verses 24 through 30. But notice that no judgment was dealt out until the separation took place. So it's, it's clear from the Bible all through Old Testament and New that judgment does not belong to God's people. In the New Testament Jesus took our punishment, okay, and became the subject of God's wrath on the cross. So our sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus. So it'd be it would it would be totally unjust for God to make Jesus endure the fullness of his wrath on our behalf, right? And then pour out that same judgment on us anyway. I mean that's the whole point of Christ taking our punishment so that we didn't have to take it. It would be completely unjust of God. He's not going to do that. Our faith in Christ gives us an exemption from divine wrath. That's the, and the tribulation is not designed for us. We're not required to participate in any part of it. Number five, uh, and this is the final reason why I believe like I do on, on where I stand on the, the timing of the rapture, is that we have a hope for the future, the Bible says we have a hope. The rapture is a hope. Paul called it the blessed hope for the future. So Jesus knew that as the time of his return drew closer, you know, the world would be in worse shape than it ever was. So he prophesied that in the last days that the uh, world would once again fall into the pattern that it was in the when you know when Noah and Lot. If you've ever read those prophecies in Luke 17, uh, Jesus said that when the Son of Man comes again, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah, and it'll be like it was in the days of Lot. Uh, in the, in those Old Testament times, people would be living life and going about their business with a clear disregard for God's principles, and wickedness would abound, which is what we're seeing all over the earth today. And when that happens, God, uh, so like when that happened anytime time throughout history, whether it was Noah, um, you know Moses, whatever. God would manifest and, and reveal himself to humanity in a new way, and then we would be responsible to conform to the revelation of God. So if, if humanity ever failed and rebelled, what, what would happen? God would bring judgment and establish a new period of probation, right? So it happened with Adam and Eve. They failed. So what happened? God had to restart it, kick them out of the garden, and set up something new. Uh, it happened with Moses. He gave them all new law, the law of Moses, re-established it for his children, kept on going. You know the law, then the prophets, then the and there were judges. I mean, you look, you look how God operated with his people um, throughout <coughs> the, the the entire Word of God. By the way, this concept's called dispensationalism. If you want to get technical and many many great men of god have held this this position over the years but it is important to understand this concept because jesus prophesied that it would happen again after the grace of the new testament church age so whereas adam and eve's season ended with their you know when they got kicked out of the garden of eden and noah's season ended with a flood the season or dispensation of grace will end with the rapture of the church and the great tribulation. So, we've got to recognize that although there's a coming judgment, we have a promise of escape, right? Through the divine wrath of, from the divine wrath of God. That's not our story. That's why even after describing the events of the rapture, the apostle Paul concludes by gently reminding the believers that we're supposed to encourage one another with these words. When he talks about the rapture, he said, "Take this now. What I'm telling you about the rapture, and use it to encourage one another." It's it's not much, it's not very encouraging <laughs> if you've got to tell people, you know, there is a rapture that's coming, but uh, you know we're still going to have to go through a portion of of the judgment of God before the rapture. That's not encouraging. That's not a hope. That brings dread. <laughs> I'm like discouraged by that. The rapture is a blessing. That's promised to God's people. That keeps us from divine wrath for all time. So, if the blood of Jesus Christ belongs to you, if you are part of the family of God, you're not just protected from things in this world, but also also things to come. You understand that we are uh, we are divinely protected from having to go through the judgments of God that were not, by the way, were not created for us in any way, shape, or form. The rapture was not for God's people, or excuse me, not the rapture, but the tribulation has never been for God's people. The rapture is for God's people to take us out of this world before judgment comes. So I want you to understand that those things are extremely important to know when determining where you stand on end time Bible prophecy. If you believe in a God who did not pull put the fullness of judgment on Jesus on the cross, you know, because literally that's what you have to believe if you hold a mid tribulation or post tribulation stance about the rapture, you have to believe that God did not put all of the judgment of our sins upon Christ, that Christ was not um the sacrificial lamb for our wrongdoing because if he is the sacrificial lamb for our wrongdoing then God does not have the right to put any more judgment on his forgiven redeemed people which means it would be totally outside of righteousness for God to put us even through one minute of the tribulation. Even one minute, the enti- as I said, the entire thing is judgment from God. Not just the last half, the entire seven years is judgment from God. So it's not for you and it's not for me that we are exempted from the divine wrath of God. That should excite you to let you know that we are leaving this earth to be with Christ before any of those evil things even begin. That's part of the benefits package of being one of the New Testament Church Age believers is that we get to be with Christ in heaven when there's hell going on on the earth. It's wonderful. Did you know that uh you know we we get our bodies, our resurrected bodies during the during the rapture, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first and then those of us that are alive and remain will be caught up to meet him in the air. Notice that Old Testament saints, if you've never heard this taught before, Old Testament saints, their bodies are not resurrected until later. But one of the benefits about being a church-age believer is that we get to be first in line, and that when the trumpet sounds, people that have already died, the dead in Christ... That's speaking about believers, not talking about Old Testament saints. They were never in Christ. Only believers are in Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. Our bodies that have died and been put into graves will come up out of the graves and be not just resurrected, but glorified and reunited with our spirits. And those of us that are still living will just be instantly glorified and caught up to meet Jesus in the air. That is a benefit of belonging to Jesus Christ. And it's exciting. That day is coming very, very soon, which means there's work to be done before the trumpet sounds. People need to hear the gospel. People need to be saved. It's not time to play games with your future. It's not time to play games with your destiny. It's time to step out and do what God's called you to do. that's why I'm going to pray for every one of you at the end of this episode and ask God, that he would supernaturally light you on fire once again to do the work of the ministry and to see God use you to win souls before it's too late. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd fill every one of them fresh with the fire of the Holy Ghost again today. Let this be the greatest year of their life, working for God, ministering for the kingdom, and seeing souls saved. I ask you to do that in Jesus' mighty name. I love you, Lord. Use every one of us by your glory and power in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let me give you those recommendations really quick um, before we go off. And let me say this as I'm as I am pulling those books up. I found the app that I want to use to do live podcasts with you guys. Many of you wrote me back after the last one, but the app is called Mixler, M-I-X-L-R, M-I-X-L-R. It's called Mixler. I would encourage you to download the app. And search my name, Ted Shuttlesworth, on Mixler. It's going to give us the ability to do live, interactive podcasts every once in a while. Uh, It'll be very much like a Facebook Live, but just with no video, audio only. And what's nice about it is that you can close the app while you're listening to it and do other things on your phone. And the audio will keep on playing. So, you know, whatever you've got to do, that's one of the number one requests I have. I wish Facebook would allow us to close the app to do other things during the broadcast so we could listen. This will give us the ability to do it. So I want to encourage you to download Mixler and find me on there and link up with me. And I'll announce it, but we'll start doing some live interactive podcasts every now and then. It'll really, really, really be cool. So I want to encourage you to do that. All right, let me give you these books real quick before I go Um, in regards to Bible prophecy. uh, The first, which is very textbooky, is written by the guy that I mentioned, Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost, just like the day of Pentecost. It's called Things to Come, and it's been around for years. Things to Come. It was like the standard for many years in Bible schools. On teaching the entire scope of Bible prophecy. Um, But a guy that studied under him that I think is a phenomenal author is Dr. Mark Hitchcock, just like Alfred Hitchcock, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He wrote a book called The End. It's just called The End. It is an overview of all of end times Bible prophecy. It is an excellent, excellent, excellent book. That I suggest that you get and read over and over and over. Um, It's a complete reference guide, and I know it will open your eyes to see things you've never seen about end times Bible prophecy. And finally, for even quicker reference, he wrote the same guy, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, wrote a book entitled 101 Answers to the Most Frequently Asked Questions about Bible Prophecy 101 Answers. To the most frequently asked questions about Bible prophecy, and um, it will be it will be a massive blessing to you. Of course, uh, Perry Stone's written books on the end times. Tim LaHaye, "Understanding Bible Prophecy for Yourself" by Tim LaHaye, uh, is a book you could pick up. But um, go with those first three that I recommended to you, and you will not regret it. Those are phenomenal books that will help you. I love you guys. Don't forget to grab that Mixler app. I'll give you more instruction as the days come. But it's going to be really, really fun uh, to do that and have questions come in. Maybe we'll do a live question and answer, uh, question and answer podcast uh, in the very near future. That would be really cool. I love you guys, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. But don't forget, until next time, goodness and mercy are following you for the rest of your life. Talk to you soon. We would love for you to join us in a live service. To find out when Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. will be near you, please visit our website at www.miracleword.com.